Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is a really interesting episode, and I'm excited to have Sandra Teague with us. I'll tell you about Sandra in just a moment, but I think this is really timely because a lot of us who are in the business of running a practice are constantly faced with these questions about what are we going to do about COVID and policies and virtual work. And I think having someone who has a human resources, that that pulse is going to be really wonderful information for us because none of us get that training when we're in school. So I'm so excited today to have Sandra Teague with us. She is currently the president of the One Source Division of Connor and Gallagher One Source, known as CGO. The One Source Division focuses specifically on delivering HR consulting, HR outsourcing, and payroll processing services to small and mid-sized businesses, which is a lot of us. Prior to joining CGO, Sandra was the founder and president of Advantage Employment, an HR consulting company that provided HR outsourcing and other services to small businesses. Sandra is a member of the Society of Human Resource Management, and she carries multiple senior HR certifications, which is part of the reason I'm happy to have her here today. With an MBA from U of C, University of Chicago, Sandra has spent the bulk of her career identifying opportunities and establishing small businesses to capitalize on those opportunities. As a result of that experience, she has a strong appreciation for the challenges faced by small businesses and business owners, especially in the area of employment. And, you know, I think this is really great information for our listeners too, Sandra, when you're not working, you're volunteering as a human resources subject matter expert for SCORE. And maybe you can take in a moment, tell people what score is about. And you also like reading, traveling, and exploring. I love those things too. So welcome, Sandra. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Margo. I'm so excited to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and to and to hopefully get some good information out to your audience. Yeah. Well, believe me, I'm very excited. And I think our listeners will be too, because these are questions that we are getting all the Time. So do you mind just taking a moment and talking about what SCORE is? Because I think for people who uh, are starting small business, SCORE is excellent. And then we can get into our topic of the day. Yeah. So SCORE, uh, which is uh, funded through the SBA, provides free consulting and guidance to entrepreneurs, individuals who are starting businesses sometimes from their living room, their kitchen table, starting from scratch, and and also as as those small businesses grow and develop and start hiring employees, for example. So with my involvement with them, I, I assist their clients. They refer to them as their clients, even though those, these are free services. I help their clients on the, in the areas of human resources. So when they have issues come up with employees or aren't sure how to hire employees or aren't sure how to fire employees, um, I can jump in and, and assist in that way. Oh, that's great. That's fabulous. Uh, yeah, folks, SCORE, it's funded by the Small Business Association, and it's a really good resource. So maybe we'll put that in the show notes for you so you can have that information. So our topic today, we're calling this COVID in the workplace, its lasting impact, which, you know, I think many of us obviously thought we'd be post-COVID by now. 
this is just, you know, more people are talking about this being just the way things are. And we've just had to adjust to the way things are. But the tricky thing is, Sandra, and I think you're going to address this, is that it's the way things are, but the policies that we need to be paying attention to are, you know, flopping around with some regularity. So it's not like, oh, here is your COVID policy and, and it can be just static. These are things we have to be thinking about on a regular basis. And so I thought it would be great to have you come on today and talk to the practice owners in particular about people who have employees, about some of the things they need to be mindful of. We have people who have started to go back in person. What do they need to do about masking? What do they need to do about vaccinations? What do they need to require? What can they require of their clients? What can I as an employer require of them? So there are a lot of questions that people are having at the moment. So, so excited to have you. So where are we today? So right now, folks, this is the end of October. We are in Chicago. So this, of course, is regional. But so, Sandra, where are we as best as you can tell today? Great question, Margo. Thank you. And, and I'm really glad you kind of put a put a timestamp on that, you know, date and time of where we are today, because, you know, tomorrow we could be somewhere different. So, you know, try to, I'll try to speak to the context, to that context. And, you know, throughout this entire experience since say March of last year, things have been very fluid, right? Employers know that it's been a very fluid situation. And myself, my colleagues, the business owners that I work with on a regular basis, are always grasping for information. We're hungry for information. So I think that one thing that that we've learned over time is to make sure we're getting information about what's going on in the workplace from a good source or how we how we should be treating employees, how we should be managing the situation in our workplaces that we're getting information from the right sources. So, you know, I could I could probably spend a few minutes quoting to you right now about what happens if an employee is infect, you know, is uh, exposed? What happens if their family member comes down with COVID? What happens if they have symptoms? But you know, over the past year and a half plus, the guidance on that has has continued to change. So the best direction that I can give is that employers should always go back to the CDC, and the CDC has a very good website at cdc.gov, and it has very specific information for employers that answer all of those questions that I just posed. So because those answers change over time, I think it's important that that you know employers refer to the that website frequently and go to that website for guidance. We always kind of joke in in the HR world about using Google as your HR department and <laughs> you know that's that's not a good idea. Uh, People so, use Google as their therapist too. Well, not a good idea there either. Right. Right. <laughs> so I would um, strongly encourage people to uh, not just Google. I mean, obviously the internet's a tremendous resource, but cdc.gov is what I would consider the gold standard for information about how to work through situations in your workplace. And no one could ever question the steps that you take if you follow steps that the CDC is, you know, is is sharing. So I think that's a very important resource across the country, wherever an employer has has its employees. The second thing I would suggest is the, you know, we, of course, as you mentioned, we're in Chicago, so state of Illinois, and the state, you know, every state across the country has been very involved in putting out their own very specific regulations regarding workplaces, regarding mask mandates, regarding vaccinations, regarding all of that stuff. So I think it's 
the Illinois Department of Human Services, IDHS, is also another very good resource right now. What's interesting is early on, the Illinois Department of Economic Opportunity, which was, they were the ones that were putting out information about if you are a healthcare facility, do this. If you are a school, do this. If you are a manufacturing facility, do this. If you're a retail store, do this. Very, very comprehensive information across all industrial sectors, all sectors, all employment sectors. And it, it was just interesting that that was where the, what the source was. Now it's coming, it's shifted over to IDHS. And I think that's a, that's a better source. That's where all employers, I would recommend, are getting their information at the state level for what the current mandates and directives are you know, in the workplace. So I think that between those two, now, actually, I'll, I'll add one more, come to think of it, and that's the city of Chicago. If by chance you're located in the city of Chicago, they also have some other directives. But the guidance has gotten a lot more basic. Before, it was like we had a lot of specifics when we were talking about social distancing and we were talking about signage requirements and where signs needed to be posted and how many people could be in conference rooms. Now, we have an indoor mask mandate. That's kind of the universal catch-all for just about everything. So that's at the state of Illinois level. Then, of course, we have the CDC that provides guidance on what to do in what type of situation. So that's my recommendation as far as, as, far as resources for, you know, for employers. That's great. So, folks, I love what you say about that, Sandra. No one can question your decision if you're following the guidance of the CDC or the state of Illinois or the city of Chicago. So would you advise people to perhaps print those up or to have them somewhere that they have documented that this is what the guidance was at the time that they were developing their policy or making their decisions just as an extra way to protect themselves? Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Margo. And I think that <laughs> at the very beginning of the pandemic, many employers wanted they wanted to get things in writing. They They felt very strongly because that's their instinct, right? They're going to put out an employer policy, employment policy of some sort. They felt like it had to be in writing and acknowledged by their employees. Quite honestly, things were developing and changing so quickly that that quickly became not an option to document. It's You could put your policy on a whiteboard <laughs> because you're going to change it tomorrow, right? Or next week or next month. So I, I think that, you know, should employers be kind of grabbing on to what was current guidance at the time of an incident? I think that that's going to really, that's going to be a complex exercise and maybe not worth it. I think that the best thing employers can do is be very in the moment and very cognizant, go out to those resources, be cognizant of the decisions they're making and why. Yes, they can absolutely document the things that they're telling their employees and, and capturing that information, but I don't think it rises to the level of actually creating written policies because they're just going to have to change them. So Okay. All right. So we don't necessarily need a COVID policy in our office. Not at the moment, although it's interesting. I think that, and this, if I get out my crystal ball, and I know we're going to talk a little later about, about, future, about future things, but, but I will say that I think, you know, many employers have policies or already have policies regarding like inclement weather. Like what happens if there's a snowstorm and nobody can come to work, right? And we kind of laugh, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, but I think in the future, we will have policies that are drafted that are more focused on 
what if we have, hopefully not, what if we have a global pandemic? But we have another global pa- Next time we have a pandemic, this is That's what right. Do, That's right? right. I think employers, believe it or not, are going to start incorporating that. They're, they're going to think a little bit differently about the reasons why people might not be able to come to work and how, what their policies are going to be regarding that. So yeah, that that's going to be interesting, but. Okay. Well, that's good to know that we don't currently folks need to have a written policy. We need to be following the guidelines, but we don't have to spend lots of time trying to, you know, write up a policy and have it hand in our handbook, because guess what? It could change at any moment. Exactly. Exactly. So another thing, Margot, I'll interrupt you really quickly. I think that something coming down the pike that's really important for people to know about, if they haven't already heard, are, is the vaccination mandate that OSHA is going to implement upon the direction of President Joe Biden back on August 30. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not August 30th. September 9th, Joe Biden came out, announced publicly that he was directing OSHA to tell all private employers with 100 or more employees that they must mandate their employees to get vaccinated or unless they have a valid excuse, valid excuse being a sincerely held religious belief or a medical reason for not getting vaccinated, or they would need to get tested every week before coming to work. So I think it's important perhaps for your listeners to know that that directive, well, first of all, it's not fully implemented yet as of, as of this date today, We've been waiting now about six weeks or so. Um, the draft of this document has gone to the White House and it's uh, supposedly being reviewed. I actually just heard today it might be delayed. The, the impact, I think what's relevant to this conversation is that number one, that's only for employers with 100 or more employees. So the small employers still have a lot of discretion in how they proceed some small employers. Early on, employers were absolutely opposed to, many that I talked to were not prepared to implement vaccine mandates. It was more of the carrot instead of the stick. So they were encouraging employees to get vaccinated, but they weren't mandating vaccination. Because of all of the mandates that have come down, you know, the government, because the federal government already mandates federal employees to to get vaccinated. I think there's a certain amount of vaccination requirements in healthcare facilities. And now what's pending is this OSHA directive for private employers to have vaccine or to have vaccine mandates as well. So I think that it's trending that direction, but small employers don't necessarily have to follow suit. So that's a big decision to make. And I think a lot of that decision making ties to since they're not going to be regulated or they're not going to be forced to do it, then it kind of kind of goes back to, you know, the company culture the demographics of their workplace, the physical space where their employees work, proximity to other employees, are they client or are they customer facing or not, like say a retail store versus an office. So there's so many considerations that an employer needs to think through that are going to be somewhat unique to them in making the decision of whether to require their employees to be vaccinated or not. And even for employers under 100 employees, even though they won't be forced to implement that, they do have the option to do it. It is perfectly okay for an employer of, say, 10 people to insist that all their employees are vaccinated, unless they can meet a legitimate exemption, uh, like I said, sincerely held religious belief or a medical exemption. So, So it's tough. It's a really tough decision. And I know that I've spent a lot of time talking with clients about 
what are those considerations and how, and what's going to be best for our business. So they're tough, tough decisions to be made. And for us, you know, as therapists, ugh, do we require people coming in person to have a vaccine? What is the meaning of that? What does that do in your clinical relationship? In the state of Illinois, we are required to wear masks. What if, it, if it's somebody with autism and it doesn't really work or with children and they need people to be in person and not have masks? I mean, so it's, it gets really complicated. So I'm, I'm glad to hear, and this is just an important piece of information, Sandra, that we can mandate of our employees vaccinations. Can we require that our clients be vaccinated as well, or customers? Well, I think I, I don't want to speak to the healthcare setting. That's a little outside of my expertise. So I would I would suggest that go to the CDC uh, website and, and check that there, or check with the state of Illinois and what their what executive orders have been released in that regard. But if, if I take, for example, a, um, a normal office environment, if if I'm running an office, uh, I have a workplace, and I want to prevent anybody from coming in who's not vaccinated, I, I have the right to do that. So, you know, I think that. If, though, you're in a business setting where clients, customers, vendors, whoever are coming in and, you know, is that going to be good for business if you if you have that strict of a, you know, if you have a really strict directive in that regard. So, you know, again, I think every situation is a little bit different. I think people have to think through it thoughtfully. And the other piece of advice I would give is that you have to consider both sides of the of the spectrum. So I'm sure you would agree that there's very differing opinions on what's the right path to take in terms of even in terms of let's just take masks, for example, right? You have one side of the spectrum that is very concerned about the virus. They don't want to get sick themselves. They don't want to infect anybody else. They're concerned about perhaps elderly relatives or people they live with getting sick. They have exi- you know pre-existing medical conditions. By golly, they're going to wear a mask and they'll be happy doing it. But you have the other end of the spectrum where people are very, their individual freedoms are extremely important to them. And they don't want the government telling them what they can or cannot do. They feel that they're healthy themselves. And they don't want to wear a mask, no matter what. So as an employer, I think you have to consider that you could have both of those people sitting in desks next to each other. So how do you manage your workplace when you have those very, very, sometimes extremely strong differing opinions working in such close proximity. So I think it's a challenge to, to, to navigate that. And it's a challenge to make all of your employees comfortable. And I think that the danger is if the employer takes picks sides, then that could cause, that could cause significant problems in the workplace. Yeah, that, that makes good sense, Sandra. And, and again, it's, it's checking with what is the CDC saying? My understanding so far, you know, this could have changed since this was the information that I received is that um, we can require that any of our staff or any of our clients coming into the office are vaccinated. And the way that we came to that was I took a poll of the therapists who are going to be working in person. Many of us, and we're going to talk about this whole virtual world that we're in in a minute, but so some folks are coming back in in person and I had a conversation with them about what would make them most comfortable and each and every one of them said, unless it's a child who is not old enough to be vaccinated, they only wanted to see people in person who had been vaccinated. And the folks who didn't were welcome to still have services, but we would do that 
service virtually. That was their choice. So I, that kind of felt like the right thing to do for me. As I'm, you know, kind of to your point, well, if it's not, you know, really clearly directed, like you have to do this, then talk to the people, right? Talk to the people who are going to be involved in what is their level of comfort. Now, we do have a mask mandate in the state of Illinois. So that to me doesn't feel negotiable. But I've talked to the practice owners who are saying, no, we never wear masks. I've, and these are people who tend to be a little further out uh, away from the city and more of the far north or far western or far, far southern suburbs. So there's this interesting thing that's happening geographically for therapists. And some people are saying, well, I'm vaccinated. My clients are vaccinated and we're just not telling anybody. So what can happen to somebody if they make that decision? And, and you know, if let's say that there is a, a policy that has been implemented by the practice and somebody says, well, I've decided that I'm vaccinated and I don't have to follow that with my clients and somebody gets sick. I mean, how do how are people handling that? Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges throughout this is that who's the authoritative body? Who's making sure that people are following our so-called rules, you know, wherever those rules are coming from? And I think companies companies have trouble with that, not only not only like, so let's take the Illinois state, you know, the Illinois state mask mandate, you know, is the state of Illinois running around or the police running around checking and making sure people are wearing masks? Of course not, right? They better not be sticking their nose in our windows trying to see which therapist is, you know, masked. Right. Right. And, yeah. and no, no fines have been handed down to my knowledge. I mean, nothing like that has happened. So, and the other challenge then is even at the internal level for an employer, you know, nobody wants to be the bad guy and say, well, I don't know that person. I think that person should be wearing a mask. They're not vaccinated. They, our rules say they should be masked up if they're not vaccinated. And when they're not, you know, they're up walking around in the office, they're not sitting in their, in their cubicle or in their, their office off to themselves. So, you know, who's going to police that internally? It gets very difficult for people to call other people out, especially because it, 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 there's such divergence of opinion often leads to political, you know, persuasion and, and it's tough. I, you know, so I don't have a good answer, Margo. I, it's, it's, there is no authority. There is no authority figure. It's, I think a lot of people hopefully just doing the right, doing the right thing and doing the right thing for the people around them. I just hope we can get through this and get, get past it because it's, it's tough. Right. It is tough. And Sandra, I'm so glad to hear you say that because right. As with everything else in our culture right now, there is this understanding on both sides or all sides that there is a right way to do this. And what you're saying is, well, look, you know, who and who's checking and who's who gets to determine that. So, again, you know, we are following what the CDC says or our main hub is in Park Ridge or our office downtown. I tell people you really got to follow what they say, but I'm not peeking under doors and trying to see if people are doing this. It's also trusting that people are using good judgment. One question that I've heard people be concerned about is, well, what if, what if a therapist gets somebody sick? Well, my thought is, how do you even prove that? So I don't worry about that too much. You know, everybody is just concerned about, I think, doing what is required of them. And what you're saying, Sandra, is there's a lot of gray area. So it's very helpful to think about. But there are some policies. So maybe we don't need to have a COVID policy but there are some policies like what are the employer sick leave policies? What are some of the policies around technology adoption or 
you know, the location policy. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of policies. So do you mind speaking to what do people really need to be thinking about in terms of their policies right now? Sure, sure. So interesting, you know, you, you mentioned sick policies, right? So I think before the pandemic, it's not uncommon in our culture here in the United States that if you're sick, you know, kind of rub a little dirt on it and go to work, right? But but that today in this environment, if you so much as sneeze in the office, uh, you know, you, you're going to get dirty looks, right, from, from your fellow employees. Like, are, is, is she sick? Is something wrong? So I think it's going to I think sick policies need to be clarified, in, that employers need to better define what is sick, when should employees not be coming to work, and ensuring that they have they, they promote a culture that enables an employee to stay home, to stay away from their, their colleagues when they really are experiencing symptoms of, of something, whether it's COVID or, or anything else for that matter. I think we're going to see a little bit of a shift in that, and because a sick leave policy is a a necessary component of an employee handbook, I think that's an area that employers should take a look at. It maybe not even yet today. It we may still it may still be premature. Like I think the dust is still settling, but I think giving thought to if that policy needs to change, how it needs to change, or just what's the culture? You know, are you going to encourage sick employees to still, you know, fight, fight the good fight and come in? Or are you going to encourage your sick employees to, hey, I don't want to see you. You know, let's hop on a video call or let's talk via, you know, using email or messaging or whatever. Let's let's communicate that way. You stay home until you're feeling better. So I think I think that's yeah, I think that's coming, which is also a segue then into, you know, you were asking about technology policies. So I think what's so interesting is that, you know, when the pandemic hit, everybody went, not everybody, but in many business settings, employees are now working from home instantly, like drop of a hat, middle of March last year, it's, we're working from home. And a lot of people went home without proper equipment. And I think it's been a struggle for some companies to ensure that employees were provided with laptops. Maybe they they made the employee had a desktop in the office, can't really schlep their desktop home. So maybe they were using their own device at home, but now the company's like, well, we don't really want people using their own device. We'd rather them using a secure device that we provide for them. So, you know, making sure that employees have the right hardware, the right equipment to use in a home office setting, I think has been a big challenge for, for a lot of companies. And it's something they've been getting their arms around and documenting and figuring out who pays for that. You know, it's interesting because there's a term called BYOD. Be, bring your own device. I don't know if you've heard that. I have not. So BYOD is, for example, many, many employees use their own personal cell phone for work. That's a BYOD type setup, right? They're using their cell phone. The employer knows they're using their cell phone. In many cases, the employer's not even reimbursing the employee for use of their cell phone. The employee's on a, you know, unlimited data plan. It's really not costing them any extra, just kind of the way things work, right? But I think a lot, we're looking a lot more closely at a lot of those types of policies because, especially when it comes to maybe not so much the cell phones, but laptops, because employees, many employees have access to very sensitive information. I'm sure many of your listeners, you know, you're in the mental health industry, you've got patient information, very confidential records. So do you really want an employee accessing confidential information like that from an old clunky 
laptop they have at home that doesn't really have good, doesn't even have an antivirus protection on it. You know what I mean? So, So I think companies are realizing the importance of ensuring that employees have good devices that are secure, that they, that work well, that can be effective and can help them do their job at home. That's what's really important. So if you're going to hand over a laptop though to somebody, $1,000, $1,500, $2,000, whatever, whatever the cost is now, how are you going to ensure that's an asset of the company? So you want to make sure that the employee uh, knows that they have to give it back when they leave, uh, knows that they have to maintain it, knows that they have to share the password of how to access that laptop with their IT person or their manager or the designated individual. Those are all really important things to get down in writing and make sure to communicate to an employee about the equipment that's being given to them. Kind of corresponding to that are policies surrounding the software side of things. So tools that many of us started using that we weren't using before are things like video 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 calls like the go to meetings and the and the zoom and the teams and all of that as well as increased uses usage of messaging systems so chatting through slack or chatting through there's chat functionality through teams that's something else that I know here in my organization we started using when we never used it before and and now it's like our right arm we depend we depend heavily on it but employers I think can can and should give thought to how their employees are using these various systems. When should you be emailing versus Slack, you know, messaging somebody? What kind of information can go in a message versus in an email? When should you pick up the phone? Where are you saving, you know, data on your system? Where, when do you have to be accessible? So the interesting thing about Teams is that it's my understanding you can set, you can set your status, right? So if you have employees working remotely, and you want to know that they're working. I'm glad we're covering that because now, right, we had a situation. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Sandy. We had a situation where we had an employee who we figured out by a tracking system that was on our software, our billing software system, our EHR system, that they actually were not working the hours they said they were. And I had just never had that situation before. But so what about some of these tracking systems and how do you keep track of those kinds of things so that your assistant is doing what they say they're supposed to be doing at the time they say they're doing it? Yeah, it's a tremendous question. And it's really, I think what's happened is we are all realizing how much we depend on or have depended on informal management, right? Walking around the office and being able to see, I can see, Margo, that you're sitting at your laptop and you're typing away, or I see you talking on the phone. Now, if you're working from home, I'm working from home, I don't see that. So I think there are technology tools that can literally track your every keystroke. And that's okay. You can do this. You can. Perfectly. You can. You certainly, as an employer, have the authority uh, to monitor your employees, monitor what their activities are for, during the time that you're paying them. But that being said, I would strongly caution employers from instituting processes that are so invasive that they basically send the message to your employee that you don't trust them. So, you know, I think uh, performance management, the process of managing the performance of your employees really needs to shift towards a focus on outputs 
as opposed to focusing on the activities themselves. So instead of ensuring that, you know, your employee is logged onto their laptop and clicking away at a certain pace through, you know, for seven and a half out of their eight hour day or hours out of their day or something to that effect, you know, I'm an advocate for setting broader metrics. So let's say, for example, I've got a, a customer service person that, that works for me and I, I want to ensure that they're productive. And, and, and history says that that customer service person should be making maybe 10 to 15 outbound calls every day. So let's call it 50 outbound calls a week, and they should be responding to 50 inquiries from, from clients. So if we feel the need to track metrics and to track productivity, why don't we track something like that to show that the employee is performing, that they're meeting those expectations instead of looking to see if they're typing away at their computer for five minutes every day, you know, for every five minutes of every hour of every day. So I I hope that makes sense. You know, I want to broaden it out a little bit and put the focus on the accomplishments and put the focus on the outcomes as opposed to putting them under a microscope and micromanaging their every single move and their every single activity. And that's really hard for sometimes for an older generation to embrace because they're used to management by walking around and it can be very difficult to make that shift. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad, you know, you're, I'm so glad you're using this language, Sandra, because you talked several times about the culture, be mindful of your culture. And I, I am constantly talking about culture. It's so important and looking at accomplishments and outcomes versus, you know, bean counting, so to speak, I just really like that way of thinking about even our human resources, right? Which I think sometimes people can think it's just policy, 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 employment. You know, here's your handbook, but you're also talking about culture. So, Sandra, if our listeners have the need, you know, to employ someone, to engage someone like you, how would they do that? And what kind of services can you provide to a small business? small practice owner or medium size or large practice owner, what would you be doing for them? On our team here, we have several folks, we call them HR advisors, that work with small business clients really as a, they, they do do policy setting, and that's part of the, the service that they provide, but they also really act as a, as a sounding board, as a kind of a third-party set of eyes into an organization to kind of assess what's going on in an organization and be able to provide insight into, well, have you thought about looking at things this way? And a lot of the those conversations start when an employer calls up and says, I've got this problem. So I've got this problem with this employee. I don't know what to do about it. So that then leads us into discussions about all these things that we've been talking about, discussions about policies as a starting point, discussions about culture, discussions about employee engagement, discussions about how to manage an individual's performance. So, you know, every conversation we have with clients is a little bit different, but it's very tailored specifically to their needs. You know, we're not about just pulling things down from the internet and sending it on our way. Here's a white paper you can read all about that, Margo. Here's how you can fix your employee problem, right? So, because that doesn't work. I think Whenever there's a problem that comes up, we like to kind of talk through why it occurred. Has it occurred with other employees? What can we do to fix it? What can we, you know, what can we do to fix the immediate problem? But what can we do to 
to perhaps drive the company in a direction to prevent that kind of thing from happening again. So hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, that does. So folks, I would really encourage you to consider contacting Sandra if you are, and we will have your information available. If people want to get more information about what what can you do for them? Because I'll tell you, I think having HR consultation is critical as an employer. You just, are, it's like driving around without insurance. If you don't have some somebody who is handling your HR with you, because we don't know about those things. So please give Sandra a call or an email and we will have that available in our show notes so people can connect with you if they would like. Sandra, there are so many other things I'd like to talk about, you know, different things about employment status or unemployment, unemployment claims. I can think of a bunch of things. Will you come back and have more of a conversation with us at some point? Oh, I would love to. Absolutely would love to. That would be fabulous. I I think this is great information, folks. Really, I can't tell you how much uh, I think you need to consider having someone assist you with your HR. I am so happy to have you here today. Sandra Teague, thank you so much. You are the president, again, of the One Source Division of Connor and Gallagher. Thank you so much for coming. We will see you again soon. All of you who have listened to us today, thanks so much for being with us. We'll look forward to connecting with you next time. Be well. You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jaco. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.